Hi, I'm Melissa from the Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service, and I'm here to introduce you to the Common Path podcast. These have been developed to support people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Listening to this podcast will provide you with an opportunity to learn from others who have already experienced cancer. They share how they made decisions, what they learned along the way, what helped and what they wish they had known. In this podcast, you'll hear from three people who have been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Diane and Sue were diagnosed in 2014 and Jane was diagnosed in 2010. All were working at the time of their diagnosis and were treated with surgery and chemotherapy. You can find information and support for women with ovarian cancer at ovariancancer.net.au and at counterpart.org.au. Each of the women has their own story to tell and will bring their unique experiences to the discussion. In this first section, Diagnosis, they start by talking about their own cancer diagnosis, how they reacted and how they coped. I really didn't get a diagnosis because it was all an emergency in the end. I'd been going to my local GP for four or five months, um, complaining of pains, tiredness, you know. So one day I just couldn't cope any longer. I had numerous tests during those four or five months. So we went to emergency and that's where the doctor just said, oh, you've got ovarian cancer. And I said, oh, right. And I didn't really know anything about ovarian cancer. I know about a lot of other cancers, but like a lot of the population, I knew very little, which was probably good in a way. <laughs> Back at just on Christmas 2010, um, I was starting to feel just a slight um, unwellness. I was fit, um, well. Um, I had had a history of endometriosis and I had some pelvic pain and I thought this didn't seem right. Uh, I was admitted to hospital, they was operated on, the cyst was removed. Again, still no identifying factors. Uh, the day after I got home from hospital, uh, I was just arrived home and the phone rang and it was a specialist on the phone and his voice in the background was, are you sitting down, Jane? I need to tell you some bad news. You've been diagnosed with ovarian ca- cancer. At that time, my world stopped. I just, uh, it was really hard to comprehend uh, the magnitude of being told a story that like that, even though I have actually lost both of my parents to a cancer-related illness, and my mother when I was only five, these weren't related. And I never considered my, myself as a vibrant, healthy w- woman that this would be uh, my story. I had a phone call from my uh, nurse to say that the CA125 blood test that I had showed that it was elevated and I went for a pelvic scan that led to revealing abnormalities and she put me straight into my gynaecologist who then said, You're, you need to go for a big operation. You're going to have a staging laparoscopy and then I had the operation and discovered after that operation that I had, or during that operation, that I had stage three ovarian cancer. And it came as a great shock, 
because um, up until then I was teaching at high school and I was happily surrounded by adolescent teenagers and had no idea that the little bits of pain that I had been experiencing and the um, you know, nights where I couldn't sleep properly or um, you know, all the signs and symptoms that I now are ovarian cancer um, were actually indicating that that's what I had. And by the time it was discovered, I was stage three. So, yeah. In this section, Making Treatment Decisions, you'll hear about how they made decisions about their treatment and what were some of the issues they needed to think about. So we started ringing and asking for people's recommendations of surgeons. And I've never done that before in my life. I've always relied on my GP. Here's one die, go for it. Um, But this was just too crucial too dire, to everything. Everyone ended up giving us a recommendation of about three people and one person's name kept cropping up. And um, I've never interviewed a doctor in my life before. And um, this uh, doctor came across town and um, I interviewed him (laughs) with the family and then we said, yes, we trust him, we like him. He's got a fabulous reputation and we went with him. And from then on, he took over and it was probably the best decision of my life. Myself, I'd never really had any understanding of what ovarian cancer was. I didn't know anyone who um, had ovarian cancer. I didn't actually know the full extent of what it meant. Um, So I only had to wait a couple of days until I got my appointment uh, with uh, my next specialist. And at that time, I was able to uh, take actually a room full of people with me. My husband, uh, my sister came from interstate, my daughter and friends, they all came with me and they were all welcomed into the consultation. I needed answers. I needed to know you know, um, what did chemotherapy mean? Um, what was going to happen to me through chemotherapy? Um, you know, was I going to experience um, great pain or not? Um, where was the the insertion of the injections going to go? Um, what was going to happen to my work? Um, what was going to happen to us financially? Um, my daughter, who's going to look after my daughter? So I had an explosion of uh, questions and decisions to make um, whilst I'm in hospital um, that I relayed off my husband first, in my first support, and then went on to dissect and work through with this, this support team that the lady had. I immediately um, was able to um, create a relationship with my specialist in that I saw him as my champion. He um, had knowledge, he had um, a way of explaining that and that I had a belief in him. And he explained because that it was a grade three Um, type of ovarian cancer that uh, after the surgery that I would need chemotherapy. I had seven days, 
So that's when the family and I swung into action um, about interviewing people, deciding what to do. And I couldn't have the chemo because of the blockage in the um, intestines and um, it was just better to operate. So that was the decision we came to with the surgeons. The hospital ended up was reasonably close to home. And I think if you can do that, it's probably good because friends and family, you're not there for five minutes, you're there for quite a while. So um, not that that was a major consideration, but it turned out to be with me being there so long, it was beaut that it was closer for the family. Ovarian Cancer Australia, uh, I was in contact with them. They were actually able to assist in information provision, um, just talking, having a chat on the phone. Uh, I did actually have a look at um, the Cancer Council of Victoria, their website. I did actually receive um, some information packs in the mail, which helped. I was able to read through them because it was. I actually found that the diagnosis of ovarian cancer was very complex. It's actually just not one cancer. That's how it is described, but it is actually many different types. So, so to understand what type I had and what that future meant was important for me to um, comprehend. Finances were greatly affected because I was a, um, I worked. So I had a daughter, I wasn't full time, I was three days a week. Um, and so that extra money was suddenly um, cut off. So we had some financial decisions to make and that's where my husband really came into the picture. So he went through all my, um, the little print, the little writing that's at the bottom of um, my superannuation and um, he organised um, early superannuation that we could access it. Um, and we also approached um, Centrelink to get carer's allowance and also the council to get a disability um, sticker on the front of the car so I could get close to the hospital and places. Once I'd received my diagnosis, I actually contacted my workplace and just advised of my diagnosis and that I would need um, some significant time off um, just until I got through my next surgery. Uh, once that I was actually, um, I'd, I'd actually moved past that recovery stage uh, after my surgery, my second sur surgery, I actually did go back to work for a few days and then I was due to commence my chemotherapy. So I negotiated with my manager that um, I would need time off um, during that week and that, that I would probably be able to return the two weeks after my treatment, but on a part-time basis. So I kept a journal, my own journal. I wrote down every day um, my feelings, my thoughts, um, and uh, recorded what was going on around me. And then that would inspire questions and I was able to bounce them off my support team. My, my choice with um, where I sought my treatment was actually determined by who my specialist was. And because he is a lead in one of our um, Melbourne's uh, leading women's hospital. Uh, that was obviously where I was going to have my sur surgery and my treatment. 
I do have private health insurance and I actually use that within the hospital because I do know that my treatment, both in seeing my specialist, my surgery and my chemotherapy, there was no difference between myself and the public patient, which was, it was really good to know. In this section about treatment, you'll hear about the treatment they each received as well as some of the side effects they experienced and how they managed them. Not everybody experiences side effects and they can vary from person to person depending on the type and dose of the treatment you receive. I was diagnosed in the September and um, then I got out of hospital um, end of October and started chemo. We decided that I needed a communications book and my family, who had a million questions because they knew as little about ovarian cancer as I did, um, and we were all madly reading. Well, they were reading. I couldn't concentrate to read. The communications book was just great because they would write down questions that they wanted to ask the doctors or the doctors would tell me something, so they'd write it in the communications book and part of the chemo treatment makes your memory adult. Um, so I still carry in my handbag a little notebook and I just write down and jot down things. Um, and whenever I go to doctors, I always have questions written down and then maybe just add it because there's just too much to take on. You know, it's like absorbing an encyclopedia and um, remembering the answers, remembering everything. It's just, you're under enormous stress. So yeah, yeah, my communication book was wonderful. Following six weeks after my surgery, my chemotherapy commenced and I was having a course of carboplatin and paxitaxel uh, for a period of six months. And initially, I, I suppose it's really hard to comprehend what one might feel like when you're having the... Um, chemotherapy injected into your veins, especially when you see the nurses when they gown up goggles, gloves, but this is actually going into your blood vein. It's actually uh, quite significant to get your head around. With my specific um, uh, cancer, I was given um, six months um, of chemotherapy, which involved carbon platinum and paclitaxel. The lady who heads up that support team, she sat with me for my whole first chemotherapy treatment. So I had her and I had my husband with me. It's daunting. It's scary. It's like, what the heck is going to happen? Am I going to feel pain? And, you know, what, what's it going to do to me, this chemotherapy treatment? Um, and they give you the side, possible side effects, warnings of what could happen. And they sat with me the whole time. So I felt so confident. I didn't feel left out or left alone or anything. I actually got through the first six months of chemotherapy quite well. Um, yes, I did feel a bit tired. Um, I did, uh, you know, find it difficult to taste and I had issues with taste um, so my eating patterns had to change and I was walking I kept walking every single day I was walking I was on a mission to walk and keep my my vessels in my body um, you know 
under the best function that they could be for what I was for what was was coming. Because I was having weekly chemo, my husband would take me over and there was a bit of a process before I could start the treatment. And then I got a roster going of friends. So they would pick me up in the early afternoon and take me for coffee and cake. <laughs> and sometimes all I wanted to do was go to sleep and I was exhausted, but I thought, nope. This is my little bit of being normal and um, touching base with people and that was wonderful. And I lost my hair quite quickly within a month. So I worked through that issue quite quickly with my husband and my, my daughter. It was like a bit of a, a fun journey. I went to the shop and got some bandanas. I, had, um, I got a wig at one point and tried that. And I just started exploring different elements of how I could present myself. One thing that really did help me, a friend actually gave me um, a recording of some meditation. I previously had done things like yoga and that, but never really got into the meditation side. And whilst I was at my wits end and really either in pain or I just couldn't sleep, I would actually put on the meditation and that was really soothing and helped actually my mind focus on that as opposed to uh, whether it be my stress or my pain. You know, it's amazing. I think I have known my husband for 26 years. We've been married for 12 years. So for us, it was just another challenge, just another another dice to roll and move through the consequences of it. Our relationship is very strong. We have a very strong foundation. His commitment to me took on a new level. Um, yes, things did have to change a bit with the whole intimacy issues, but it just moved the dynamic of our relationship into, into a new level and a new understanding. And we worked with that and we've worked around that and things, things, are, um, things are where they're meant to be for us and we're quite happy with that. In this final section, What Helped? You'll hear about some of the things that helped them through their diagnosis and treatment. No, you can't be the same person. Um, most people wonder about being hit by a bus, but I've been hit by a bus, so I know what it's like. Um, and um, it changes you, just in lots of ways. Um, I get less anxious about things. I think, oh, that's so minor, <laughs> you know. I used to get hit up in a committee or something. Oh, who cares? <laughs> so now that I have cancer, um, and it has reoccurred for me three times, um, I've come to understand that uh, it's not to anyone's help to curl up and give up. For me, I have become proactive. I have felt that the need to move outward is far more uh, of a survival plan for me than to move inward and internalise and dwell on it to a point where um, I give up. I've, I have new mantra in my life, which is to um, that faith, hope and love, to move forward, to um, never give up, 
I believe that all things can work together for good. So the cancer has in itself um, given me opportunity to spend a lot more quality time with my family. Um, instead of taking things for granted that I used to, um, I am grateful for every day that I'm alive. Well, there's quite a few resources. So um, Ovarian Cancer and um, Cancer Australia have a number of um, online newsletters, um, podcasts and various things that you can sign up for. So I, I did quite a few of those and still do. Um, and I find it quite interesting to hear what's happening and research um, and all of that type of thing. And um, I certainly went along to BreCan. They have support sessions for people and I found that that was really good, just talking to other people who'd been through the experience with you. The change at the beginning was it had an enormous impact because I didn't know what the future was and that can be really frightening but I've always been a person that takes one day at a time. Um, each night when we go to bed we can't take back the day that has just been but when we get up each day we have a new day and I think that we just need to embrace that and look for the positive aspects because whilst having a diagnosis of ovarian cancer is actually I suppose negative I did take the positives out each day and I would look for them and I would find them and then I would take them into my next day and I've learnt so much. I have met so many inspirational people, um, being able to contribute. Um, all of those are positive things, and I wouldn't have those without my ovarian cancer diagnosis. We hope that the information in this podcast has been valuable. There are some general strategies that we recommend you follow when diagnosed with cancer, many of which have already been spoken about. However, they include learn all you can about your diagnosis and the available treatment options. Take someone with you to all of your cancer-related appointments. They can help you remember what was said and it's a good idea to ask them to take notes during the meeting to help with this. Prepare your questions before your appointments and don't be afraid to ask them. Keep a copy of your medical information Seek and accept help when needed. And finally, talk to members of your healthcare team about appropriate exercise. For further information, don't forget you can contact the Cancer Council Information and Support Service on 13 11 20, where you can speak directly with a cancer nurse. Or you can visit their website at www.cancervic.org. And to find out what you can expect as you move from diagnosis to treatment, check out the What to Expect guides at www.cancerpathways.org.au. As a final piece of advice, please remember to discuss any concerns or questions you have with your treating team. They will know your personal circumstances and will be able to provide you with the most appropriate information and advice. You can also watch this podcast as a video. Just go to YouTube and once there, search for A Common Path, Cancer Support and Advice. You can then follow the link to the video you want. 
Our thanks go to Diane, Jane and Sue who have generously shared their experiences to make this podcast possible. The Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service would also like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government who made the production of this podcast possible.